You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome once again to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry. And before we get to this week's episode, I have an announcement to make. It sort of snuck up on me, but I just realized it earlier this week. This is our 100th interview. So there's 66 podcast episodes, including this one, but there's also 34 long form interviews on the website that I've done. So that's like a gold mine of great conversations. And then, of course, you know, there's 28 Days of the Web at 28daysoftheweb.com. So if you're wondering where are the black designers, I mean, look no further, right? (laughs) They're right here. Speaking of where are the black designers, that's the name of my presentation that I will be giving at South by Southwest next month. On March 15th at 5 p.m. at the Austin Convention Center in Ballroom E. Um, I'm also going to do some interviews while I'm there, and I'm going to speak at some other local businesses also. So if you're going to be at South by Southwest, please let me know. Let's catch up. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. This is my second time going, so I'm really excited about that. Now, let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. MailChimp helps entrepreneurs and small businesses with their email marketing efforts by letting you manage contacts, send emails, and track the results. The thing I like about MailChimp is that it also integrates into a lot of other services like FreshBooks and WordPress, etc. So you can start collecting email addresses today by signing up for a free account at MailChimp.com. If you want a new domain name for your next project, check out Hover. They've got hundreds of top-level domains to choose from, they offer free private registration, and they have world-class telephone and online customer support. Purchase a domain today and use the promo code 28DOTW and save 10% off your purchase. Creative Market sells graphics, fonts, themes, photos, and a whole lot more starting at only $2. They give away a selection of free goods every Monday if you're listening. Today is Monday when I'm recording this. And they've got great bundle promotions every month. This month is the February Big Bundle, so that's 62 products worth over $1,200, and that can be yours for only $39. Today's the last day to get it, so head over to creativemarket.com and check that out. And lastly, Revision Path is excited to partner with Lesbians Who Tech for the 2015 Lesbians Who Tech Summit in San Francisco. Save 25% off registration with the code LWTREVPATH. You'll also see that in the show notes for this episode. All right, let's get on with this week's interview. When I asked Xavier Ruffin about his creative fear, he talked about what he hates the most during the creative process. One of the things that I I hate the most during the creative process or that I feel the worst at is when like I put in a lot of time and effort into creating something um, and I, like I'll give it to a client and they're like, mm, nah, nah, we don't want this. And it, and, it, and it's never like, oh, this is bad. We don't want this. It's like, nah, this just was not like we wanted that. You know, we wanted something different. And it would be like, oh, man, but you said it and I've been telling you, but all right. And then it's kind of like back to the drawing board. Uh, like that might be the worst moment is going back to the drawing board. This is Revision Path. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Xavier Ruffin. And the what I do question is one of my least favorite questions because I do so much stuff. But (laughs) I do mostly 
title sequencing, a lot of title sequences for music videos. I do lyric videos, I write, I direct, I paint, I draw, I do a lot of stuff. So overall, I make things, though. Let's talk about the, the title sequences. Who are some of the artists that you've done videos for? I've been blessed to do work with T.I. on a number of occasions, B.O.B. I've done stuff with Wiz Khalifa. I've done stuff with Riff Raff, Childish Gambino, Mac Miller. I just recently did some work with uh, 2 Chains and Eric Bellinger. So I've been blessed to actually work with a good number of people now. Now, have you actually had a chance to like meet the artists when you say that you've been working with them? For some of them, yes. And for, for others, no. <laughs> Sometimes it's just like a, you get hired by management and they just ask you to do some other things. But I got to go kick it with Wiz Khalifa for a little bit. We did like a little informal interview. Definitely hung out with Riff Raff for He's a crazy guy. Is he really like that? Yes, he is really like that. But there's levels, <laughs> there, there's levels to Riff, which makes it even more like um, that you can appreciate it. It's like you can see that he really is just like a guy who's interested in having fun and living his life. And he's found a way to do the things that he wants to do. But he's not an idiot behind it all. I mean, like he still has a lot of particularities about him so yeah but he's still overall from my experience with him he's a pretty cool guy so you know the title sequencing and things like that tell me kind of when you first approach a project like that like what's your creative workflow like how do you work through all of that a lot of times it depends on like where the project's at if there's things that are already been shout out to my man philly flyboy a lot of the stuff that i'll do i'll do with him and he'll already have shot a bunch of stuff and he'll kind of send me like a pre-edit, like uh, like he kind of has certain shots arranged. And then at that point, I just start to imagine, okay, what goes where, how this fits here. And I'm trying to develop these compositions and I might take a couple different stabs at it or I'll start to go and do different research from different movie titles that, from things, stuff like Saul Bass in the 60s or brand new things that have just come out that I might find on Art of the Title. I go and I look for different inspiration and I try to create something new or something vivid that really pops in the first few seconds of watching so that we can get your attention and, and help the viewer understand like this is not a normal music video. Like, uh, right. Yeah, let's try to create that differentiator there. So because you do a lot of different kind of creative things, I'd imagine that based on the project or, or based on the type of project that you're working on, you kind of may approach it in a very different way, but it still sounds like it all boils down to doing that research first. Yeah, I mean, like, that's one of my creative philosophies is researching and uh, trying to find multiple inputs before you create an output. Because the reality of <laughs> the creative world is that there's nothing new under the sun, right? We're basically all just remixing different things that have already been done before. Even if you feel like you're the first person to do it, that's great to feel like you're the first person to do it. But the truth is there's about 32 other people who have done it. Some of them did it 200 years ago. You just might not know about it. So mm -hmm. one of the best things you can do is kind of educate yourself. And I say steal less from more people instead of stealing more from one person. So instead of like trying to mimic some, this one thing that you've done, find mm -hmm. 30 different things and see how those 30 different things can fit together in a new form and fashion. Because that's what you as an individual can bring to the plate that's new, is the way that you combine these different things that already exist. 
What's been your favorite project to work on so far? That's another one of those questions that is always like weird for me <laughs> because like always, I, and I tell people like all my projects are like children to me because of the way, the amount of love that I put into them uh, in the gestation period that they have and the time that I spend with them. I don't really have like a favorite one. It's, it's like trying to say like, oh, who's your favorite kid? But, you know, let's be real about it. A lot of parents say like this kid was the easiest to deal with and they've done the most. There's actually a video that I did with a Milwaukee artist named Classic. And this was maybe a few years back now called Forever Whatever. And it was just a, a fairly simple music video concept idea. It was the first time I ever used the red. I shot it with a friend of mine named Darren Cole, who's also from the city. And we had a couple of friends, Chloe and Chris, who are both dancers. Chris Gilbert, who actually dances on Yo Gabba Gabba, blessed us with some of his creative moves. And I really like that video. It's one of the few videos I can continue to watch still, because typically a lot of my work, <laughs> when I try to watch it again, I'm like, oh, man, I should have did something different here, change that or fix this. But it was one of the ones that I can continue to watch. So that might be the one that I like the most. <laughs> We got it on MTV, too, I think. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. So on your LinkedIn profile, uh, when I was kind of doing my research, I saw something that kind of was a bit of a humble brag, if I can, if I can call it that. Yeah. You said, I've been winning awards and receiving recognition for my work and worth e- work ethic for as long as I can remember. However, I cannot recall a time when any of those accolades gave me the same sense of accomplishment or success as when I finish a new project. And I can truly say that I have done my best. Talk to me a little bit about that. Oh, okay. That was pretty well written to me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Conceded. No. Well, I mean, like, since I was young, I was always being recognized for different things, whether it was just, you know, being good in class or having high test scores and getting, I think they were called 73s. NPS, there was a 72 and a 73. And one of them, it, it was like a reprimandation, like like you were doing very bad. And the other one was you were doing very good. I don't know why those numbers were so close to each other. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so like, it was always encouraging to be recognized by the school system or by different award shows. Like I was able to win um, a couple gold keys and silver keys in the National uh, Scholastics Art and Writing Awards which is something like Andy Warhol won some of those too. So there's a good company in that. It gets to a point where I don't want to call it like a regularity of life. It's definitely a reassurance that says, hey, people believe in your creativity. People believe in your talent. And that's always great fuel for the fire to keep going. But it doesn't mean the same as me saying to myself, well, yeah, I honestly worked as hard as I could on that project. I honestly pushed myself and I pushed my boundaries because the idea is to grow creatively and to create over a lifetime a body of work that you're, you're proud of. And a lot of that comes with trying yourself. It's almost like trying to go to the gym and like get muscular or whatever, you know, you're trying to create this body, right? So you got to push yourself every time you go in. If you don't push yourself, then like, what are the results? If you're not trying new things, you're not trying different things. You're just falling into the same over and over again. How do you surprise yourself? How, how are you really getting better? What keeps you motivated and inspired? Like, how do you kind of stay humble with all of that? The fact that, <laughs> like, there's always somebody out there that's better at something. 
there's always someone who's either more organized than you are, they draw better, they, they can draw faster than you, they design better, they know more designers, they know more about design than you. There's always someone else out there who's doing quote unquote better than you are. Kind of always kind of keeps me in my place because I think that I'm okay. Like, I don't think that I'm great yet. And I think that's part of what it takes to become or to continuously push yourself to be better. It gets tough sometimes. I, like, I work for myself. So, yeah, sometimes it's discouraging. Like, when you have a couple clients pull out and now you're going to have to eat ramen noodles all month. But, you know, just knowing that this is the thing that I want to do means it helps push you past those points. And when you have a support system in place, too, and you have different people who continue to encourage you, that can mean the world at times. Who's your support system? My family, my sister, my mom, and my dad have always been very encouraging. My love interests, <laughs> Anicia, she's, she's an awesome person. She always keeps me up. And my quote-unquote team, everybody in the city, uh, my dopamine team, Muhammad, uh, Ruben Whitmore, the whole scene here, they all push me in different ways. Are you originally from Milwaukee as well? Yes, sir. I mean, I'm born in Little Rock, Arkansas, North Little Rock, Arkansas. I always say that. Okay. And I grew up between the cities of Milwaukee and Madison, Wisconsin, mostly pretty much in Milwaukee. I just made a, a good little chunk of my adolescent years in Madison. Now, I think when a lot of people think about Milwaukee and probably Wisconsin, you know, kind of as a whole, it's sort of like Midwest, you know, Green Bay Packers, beer and cheese land. What's the, the scene like? What's the art scene like in Milwaukee? I think we were just named like one of the top 12 art scenes in the U.S. maybe last year or the year before. It's a it's a good little community from music to arts and crafts. You got Jeremy, who just had a show called Made in Milwaukee. He's a, also a Maya graduate alumni of the place I, I graduated from, uh, Milwaukee Institute in Art and Design. He's got a show where he just kind of goes into people's houses and remodels their areas. He, he owns uh, Flex Design, and they do so much great work in the city. It's bubbling. It's all over the place. Uh, Music-wise, there's a kid named uh, Webster X who just he just had a song of his premiere on Noisy the other day, and, and he was in Entertainment Weekly. It's a song called Doomsday. It's an awesome song. The whole little scene is really bubbling and pretty connected to each other, and we're all supporting each other and telling everybody come out to each other's events and you know it might not be the biggest but it's growing in strength and uh community who are some other names that people should kind of be on the lookout for from milwaukee besides you i mean uh, of course yeah <laughs> <laughs> reginald baylor is an amazing painter he's been on tour with uh Kende wiley and a bunch of other uh, African-American painters. And I'm, I'm just mentioning him because I know his style is very graphic-oriented. It's very flat. But he's a great person to look up and look into his work. Yeah, that's where I would start right now. So you went to Milwaukee Institute of Art and Design. What was your time like there? My time there was great. I actually started in pre-college there when I was about 13. So all in all, I ended that up there for around nine years. Oh, wow. So, so I spent a lot of time there. But it was a great experience. It was a, it was a new family for me that really supported me and helped me grow creatively and taught me a bunch of different 
processes and uh, paradigms when it came to um, creating art and creating design and different philosophies, the idea that a designer should be able to design everything from a spoon to a city. So just ways of thinking like that were crucial and focusing more the idea of creativity than the, um, the actual practicality of production, mm-hmm. I think. Who are some of your creative influences? Saul Bass is a big creative influence on me. Justin Bua, shout out to Justin Bua. He's my favorite painter of all time. Uh, I had the opportunity to draw with him last year, which was amazing to me. I look up a lot to Michelle Gondry as a director. I look up to Chris Milk and Spike Lee and Spike Jones as directors. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking, well, no, speaking of directors, and I guess we can kind of segue this into film and such. A couple years back, you had a successful Indiegogo campaign for a project that you had called Mad Black Men. Talk to me about that. Okay, yeah. So Mad Black Men was a short web series that I did with Daily Motion, which started off as kind of like just a little skit idea that I had when I was working on a comedy show with a few friends of mine from the city. That, That comedy show never really happened. But it's basically a spoof of Mad Men, but told from the perspective of three African-American ad workers in the 1960s, because it was my reaction to the lack of black people in Mad Men. So instead of just critiquing it, I just made another version of it. And it most specifically came from the way that Matt Weiner, the, the showrunner of Mad Men, was handling being criticized about not having black people in his show. He just said that they simply didn't exist. And I, wow. Yeah. And I was just like, that's not true at all. There were, there were vice presidents. Uh, there was a vice president of McCann Erickson, which McCann Erickson, the firm, is mentioned several times throughout the first few seasons of Mad Men as a competitor, Sterling Cooper, Draper Price, or Sterling Cooper. And yeah, their vice president was a black guy at that time in 1962. So I just thought, well, hey, instead of me just being like upset about this or whatever, why not, why not come up with a, a funny a spoof or, or, or whatever and basically try to put a little bit of harsh truth in this comedy shell. And uh, I presented the idea to Daily Motion. They had a, a Motion Makers Fund grant and we, we were one of the winners. So and that was a scary situation, too, because we won. But really, all I had was the idea when we won. So then I had to actually flush out and write the whole script and find a place to shoot it and think about all these different things, all, all the things that indie filmmakers have to do. Uh, <laughs> and we really lucked out. We were able to get the entire 10th floor of an office building here in Milwaukee. And we turned that into our headquarters and we hired local talent. We sourced talent from Atlanta and L.A., and we had a ball uh, trying to film it on a budget. It was stressful trying to handle everybody and trying to figure out where people should park their cars. It was pretty ridiculous. But all in all, the goal of the show was to kind of just become a part of the dialogue around black designers and the visibility of black designers when we talk about design throughout history and presently. And I think that we were able to do that. We got a spot on Ad Age and we were also on NPR. So we were able to be a part of that conversation. And lo and behold, after we did whatever we did, black actors and Sterling Cooper, Draper Price got to talk a little bit more. I don't know 
if that means that we had a direct effect on what they were doing or not. But I hope that we contributed to the climate that also allowed for that to happen. I think you can claim that. <laughs> I think you can claim that. I would. Shit, I would claim that. Like, yeah, we did that. When we look at the current kind of landscape of design, and when I'm saying that, I mean, you know, design media, conferences, magazines, all that kind of stuff. You really don't see black designers. I wouldn't even say at the forefront. Like, you don't really see us at all. Yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I think that we need to change that. I think that I know that we exist. I think, therefore, I am. I exist as a black designer. That, that means that we're here. You exist. Your podcast exists. We're here. The Ad Color Awards exist. You can see that, that we are in this industry. There are different people within the industry who also want to champion the diversification of it. The, the harsh reality is that we don't make up a very large percentage of the design workforce, but I think that we can change that. I mean, I know that it is currently changing, and I think that the more that we are able to put ourselves out there, and the more people who are doing work like what you're doing, people like Leakin Steffens and the Marcus Graham Project in Texas, when, when people continue to do work like that to expose minorities to the field of design, first of all, so that we can understand that it is a viable job option, so that people can even get interested in and begin to grow the skills necessary to get a job in the field, and then show off to the industry like, hey, we are here, we exist, they are people of color who are talented enough to be a part of your firm and not just be a part of your firm, but be in leadership positions in your firm. And there is no more risk with hiring us than hiring anybody else. Actually, it can be a benefit to you because you get to have different diverse mindsets when you attack a project. And I feel like diversity always helps creativity because again, it, it gives you new ways and different ways to tackle old problems. Why do you think that the industry has been so slow to diversify in that way? I think one big part of it is, again, the exposure of the field to minorities. When we think about design, design is something that's so ubiquitous that most people don't think about it. Most people don't understand that when they watch a commercial, there are three or four different people who wrote that commercial. There's production set that went behind and filmed that commercial. There's an art director who picked out what typefaces to use for this commercial. There's an ad agency that bought the media to play that commercial. Most people don't think about that. And we need to show more minorities that that is a work path and that, that that's something that they can do so that they can get interested in, in it and become involved in it. And I think Part of that is also showing people black designers, showing uh, not only, okay, so you have a great show like, like Mad Men, right? And so that shows the world about advertising, advertising and design. That's cool. That's great. Now, if we can insert some people who look like, insert some minorities into there that actually exist, I'm not saying to fabricate them, but show them and how they actually exist in that world so that minorities can see that and relate to it and say, oh, okay. Someone was doing that in the 60s, maybe, okay, I, that's cool. Maybe I can do that. I think the industry hasn't yet taken a direct action plan 
on creating that diversity yet. I don't know if they, as a whole, haven't seen the need for it because, you know, if, and sometimes you look at things and you say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know what I'm saying? Right. If we're making money, making commercials, why do we need to be diverse? You know what I mean? Like, it's not that it's that they're trying to be exclusive or exclusionary, but it's just that they haven't seen a need to become more inclusive yet. And I think as the makeup of America changes, the industry will also change. As minorities tip over and become 60% of the U.S. population, then these advertisers who need to speak more directly to minority groups will begin to realize the value in having, you know, quote unquote, minorities in their offices, um, creating work that speaks to the communities that they come from. Yeah, basically, I feel like it is going to be a slow process. And I think it's from both ends. It's from the, I guess, education end, where, like you say, you're showing minorities that this is a viable career option so they can come into the industry. But also for the ones that are in the industry, them also speaking up and showing themselves like, hey, we're here, you know, that kind of thing. Because it's sort of like that old adage, you can't be what you don't see. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like the designers and, and such that are working and in the field now also have to do what they can to be more visible. A lot of the work that you've done has been highly visible. I don't know if that's just by by virtue of it being media, like it being video or something like that. Are there any things that you do for sort of like self-promotion or ways that you kind of get your work out there that, you know, people that are listening can try to do those same things? I do things like talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) Do more podcast interviews. I hope people are listening. (laughs) Do do interviews. Do radio interviews. Do podcast interviews. Do blog interviews. Reach out and and talk to people. Networking is a really big thing to do. Social networking. I used to hate Instagram for the life of me. But, you know, I I got on it because you're like, hey, man, people need to know you exist. And they need to know you exist in these different realms. So just post some of your work and post a little bit of your life and let people relate to you, and you never know what'll come from it, and you never know who's watching you either. I've run into a lot of people who, who have silently been watching me, and I was surprised by it. I connected with my favorite artists of all time through social media. Me and Justin Bua became Facebook friends, and he liked some of my stuff on Instagram, and that meant the world to me. And that meant the world to me creatively, because that pushed me back into drawing a lot more and a lot more heavily. And that just allowed me to rediscover something that I I hadn't been doing for a while. So being part of the community, talking to different people, talking to different designers, talking to to media and pushing your work, putting your work out there. And don't be all in everybody's inbox on on Facebook too heavy, (laughs) but, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of let people know that you're making work and see how people respond to it. I still got to get on Instagram. I mean, I'm on Instagram like my like my business has an Instagram account. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. For some reason, I guess because I was really big on Flickr back in the day, taking mm-hmm. pictures and stuff. And like I have like my phone has a has a dope camera. I have the one plus one. It's got a dope camera. But I never for me, I'm never thinking like, oh, I got to take a picture or something. <laughs> I never like I never get that that cognitive link to do that. So right. I need to like hop on Instagram, get on Instagram and try to work that out. So you have your own business, Dopamine Productions. Is that right? Yes. What is like a typical day for you with that? A typical day is like 
I roll out of bed and I start working on something that I was working on last night. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's pretty much the gist of it. It's a lot of work all the time. Yeah, I mean, uh, I would check in with my my business partners and kind of have little scrum meetings and see where everything's at, different projects. And I basically have like a, a threshold that there are projects that the company handles and then there are projects that I handle myself, just kind of like freelance. And so there's, a, there's essentially a price point or a commitment level that has to be reached in order for it to become like a, like a dopamine project. And otherwise, I just do it kind of on my own. But, so it's sort of like a creative collective in a way? It's like once the project gets to a certain point, then you bring in everyone else? Yeah, when the project reach, has a certain level of criteria, meets a certain level of criterion, or it comes in through a particular channel, then we call it a dopamine project. And then I have different people that help like uh, project manage it and they'll be, we'll kind of collaborate on different ideas on how we want to attack it or how we want to build it and do different things. Mad Blackman was a dopamine project just because I could never think of trying to do that by myself. Uh, there was an amazing team and an amazing effort put forth by a lot of different people on that. Some of the title sequencing and stuff that I'll do, I might just do myself because oh, it's like, it's like a two day turnaround and it's like, oh, man, we, we got to put this out in like three days, man. So I, I just need you to do this real fast. Da, 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 da. So I'm just like, OK, well, I'll just I'll just take all of this because it, it has to be done in two days. I don't, how do you project manage that except for do it? So, I mean, that's kind of how that operates. How did you build your team? I used to work at Coral's Corporate as a, di- okay. as a digital designer there. And what I would do in my off time is I would just kind of make music videos for my friends. And it started off with uh, another Milwaukee native who's currently in New York working on his album, Gerald Walker. He's a guy to look out for. He makes great music. I did a video for Gerald Walker. And he had a friend named Muhammad who was helping to like manage him at the time. And that's how I, I started my relationship with Mo there. And that kind of grew. And while I was doing music videos, I, kind of, I ran into... Ruben Whitmore, who's another native of the city, who's also done tons of work. He's a real OG in the game. I mean, he has videos with Usher and DMX and all kinds of people. And he was someone I really looked up to. He caught wind of the things that I I was doing. He was interested in, you know, helping me and kind of being a a mentor and also just assisting in me uh, building my work. So once we made those two connections, there were a couple other people who were also involved. I got to a point where my freelance work was sustainable, like I was able to sustain myself with it. And so I quit, mm-hmm. I quit cold and I just helped use this team to help create work with. So does everybody kind of work full time then for dopamine or do you all no, just kind of come I'm, together? I'm not, I'm not only full time dopamine. Full time. Yeah, but everyone else helps when they can, where they can, how they can. And like sometimes we'll uh, we did a rock and roll music video in Nashville, so we all we all went down to Nashville together and kind of banged out on that. And I want to do more things like that. But you know, sometimes we'll all come together and spend lots of time together on a project, and we'll all essentially be full time on the project. But they also have other full time jobs. So, what challenges have you run into with dopamine, like business challenges, client challenges, stuff like that? As a startup, there's always the issue of cash flow, always the growing pains, trying to understand how much work can you actually take on at a particular time. 
when do you subcontract? Where do your profits go? If you have profits, what happens when you don't have profits? Who takes the hit? How we take the hit? Do we get a credit card? Do we not get the credit card? Okay, we got the credit card. Now we got to pay off the credit card. <laughs> but, you know, the typical startup business woes. And one beautiful thing is that to this point, we haven't actually had to go out on like a sales run. Pretty much we always just get clients that trickle in and catch wind of us through what we've done in other places because, you know, it was like you said, highly visible, which has been a blessing. And so, yeah, trying to figure out like what we would do, what we could do, what we can do when we actually do go out and start trying to sell to people and say that these are our services and this is what we can actually do for you. That That's always something to look forward to. Well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was about to ask you, like, how do you find that work that you really want to do that sort of is like the ideal work for dopamine? And you say that most of it just kind of comes to you because you're so visible. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 weird like that. I think right now we're talking about restructuring and um, focusing mostly on just uh, title sequences, like feature film title sequencing and mm-hmm. um, just motion graphics work for maybe like ad agencies and stuff, commercial motion graphics work. So we're developing reels for that so that we can actually just go and pitch to that specific sliver and lane of clientele and kind of become more specialized. Um, But it's all been a very organic thing. We started off with a lean business model where it was kind of like, we're just going (laughs) to attack what we can, how we can. And we've been slowly but surely figuring out the things that we like to do, the things that we want to do, and the things that we're good at. It's been a, one big learning process, really. Did you have any kind of creative mentors that have helped you out, kind of coming along? Yeah. I mean, I've had Ruben Whitmore. I've had all my teachers at the Milwaukee Institute of Art and Design, Del Shiley, Phil, everybody over there in the whole design area. I've had... Robert Townsend is a more recent mentor of mine. He's been, uh, we've been talking more about film and the whole, how Hollywood works. And oh, like, like actor, director, Robert Townsend. Yeah. Yeah. Actor, director, oh, Robert Townsend. Uh, that's what's up. Yeah. He helped me out a lot with the, with the Mad Black Men um, series. And I'm also starting to, well, I started maybe two years ago <laughs> writing uh, this feature film with uh, that artist I mentioned earlier, Classic. And so he's been interested in, in helping me with that and creatively. Yeah, so I've had a number of people who I could lean on directly, creatively. And then also, like, just in life as well. I have other mentors, like uh, Biko Baker is a, a mentor of mine. I can get good, straightforward advice from him sometimes if I'm, if I'm not doing so well. With on my business, or uh, he, he's good to come in and let me know how I'm doing and who I need to talk to and what I need to go fix real fast. So I respect him a lot for that, and I appreciate that so much too. That's another thing that I would recommend for uh, young designers and young artists is to seek out mentors and to seek out people who have done the things that you have you've done, and not that you are going to recreate their path, but so that you can sponge some of the wisdom that they've gotten from doing the things that they do because yeah you could try to do it by yourself and you could learn the hard way a lot of times but why learn the hard way if you can learn the easy way someone can just tell you like hey that that's not a great idea or 
if you do it this way, this way typically tends to work, you know. So have you mostly sought out your mentors or have they come to you? I think it's just the the nature of the universe. We just kind of cross paths. There was a time where I was always like I would reach out and email people like there was a time when I first started doing video stuff. I reached out to Darren Cole, who was also from the city, because he was doing music videos with Rick Ross and Big Sean at the time. And that was amazing and mind blowing to me to see somebody from my city who looked like me, who was not very much older than I was, doing the things that he was doing. And, you know, I called him up and I sat him down and we talked and he told me a bunch of different things. And I got to see how he was working and how he was operating. So I've done that. And other people do that to me. Uh, they call me up and they ask me questions and stuff like that. Shout out to Brennan. But yeah, so there's there's a mix of trying to identify and find people who are doing the things that you want to do or who have done the things that you want to do and trying to glean information from them and just naturally coming across people. Like I ran into... Well, I don't know if I can say I ran into Robert Townsend. I went to a business conference, a black enterprise conference in Ohio in 2013, and Robert Townsend was speaking there. And so I just took the the opportunity after he spoke to kind of go up to him and talk to him and tell him about what he has meant to my life. Things like the the parenthood, shows like the parenthood. I can't believe I the thing that I told him was that the movie Meteor Man changed my life. <laughs> and like the way we both were shocked that that's what came out of my mouth. But it was like, no, nah, for real, that was the first black superhero in cinema. And just what that, that movie meant to me as a kid, saying it made it plausible. You know what I'm saying? That, oh, this exists. That means it can exist. You know what I mean? whatever encouragement that is. And then so we sat down and we talked and I showed him my portfolio and he was like, oh, well, I got a movie I'm working on. You think you can help me with the titles for that? And I was like, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like seeing those moments and trying to capitalize on them. If you're at some kind of convention somewhere or some type of gathering or networking event, you know, go, go talk to people. They might not always talk back to you, but what happens if they do? You know what I'm saying? That could be the beginning of a beautiful relationship, but you have to be able to have the initiative to go and engage. What are you most excited about right now? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> are there any like new projects that you're working on or stuff like that? I mean, yeah, I'm excited about this movie I'm trying to work on. It's called Tool, The Time of Our Lives. I'm excited about what what that can do and what that could mean. I'm excited about the growth that Milwaukee is making, the art scene, the creative scene in Milwaukee. I'm excited to see people that I know and people that I talk to pop up on these blogs and get recognized by different media outlets from around the country and around the world. And just seeing that our voice is being heard, that's exciting. And I'm, I'm excited to continue to contribute to that. So music, you know, kind of seems to be a big part from what I'm saying with a lot of the work that you do. That's a big thread that runs through it. What music are you into right now? Right now, I've been listening to a lot of, well, Lupe Fiasco's album just came out. Shout out to Lupe. Shout out to Nicki Jean. I, I was, Nicki Jean is on the Lupe record. I was able to make some album artwork for her last year. I've been listening to a lot of Lupe. I've been listening to a lot of 
Big Crit, J. Cole. I'm listening to Webster X. I've been listening to Classic, who has his new EP out. I think it's called Winner. He got a write-up in the Huffington Post about that. Sometimes I listen to some jazz. Those are the, the albums and the things that I've been listening to most recently. I tend to like stick on like a rotation of like four CDs for like five months. And then I pick another four <laughs> CDs that I listen to for another five months. And then for two months out of a year, I just listen to whatever everyone else is listening to just to feel kind of current. Yeah. What would you say is your biggest creative fear? My biggest creative fear, well, I don't know. I don't know if I'm afraid while I'm making stuff. I don't think I get scared while I'm making stuff. Sometimes I might get apprehensive before starting something, you know, like the fear of the blank page. But I've kind of like, thanks to my ad, learned a lot of different tricks to kind of get around that and get through that. One of the things that I, I hate the most during the creative process or that I feel the worst at is when like I put in a lot of time and effort into creating something and I, like I'll give it to a client and they're like mm, nah nah we don't want this <laughs> <laughs> and it's never like oh this is bad we don't want this it's like nah this just was not like we wanted that you know we wanted something different and it would be like oh man but you said that and I've been telling you but all right and then it's kind of like back to the drawing board um, like that might be the worst moment is going back to the drawing board. But a great teacher of mine, Angori Goodman, she told us that it's always better the second time you do it. And, yeah. <laughs> and so like whenever, whenever I have to go back to the beginning, then I feel safe in that statement that, okay, whatever I'm going to make now is going to be better than what I made before. So that's kind of like the reassurance the thing that I have to tell myself in order to get through doing it for a second time. Is that like one of the tricks that you learned is just yeah. kind of get it out? Just like get it out the first time and then try again? You know, like don't be scared to start. Like don't attach yourself to whatever you start with. Sometimes your first idea will be the best idea. A lot of times your first idea is the absolute worst and most cliche idea. But then again, like what is a cliche except for something that has been proven to work? So, you know, just kind of get ideas out and if you can't get ideas out then that's when you i mean you should always research when it's becoming difficult for you to come up with something then that's when you need to kind of just start perusing other things that interest you or that speak to the thing that you're working on speak to the topic that you're working on so that at some moment you might get you know one of those shower ideas you know i mean where you're doing something completely different then the idea hits you while you're in the shower and you're like oh okay now i know where to start how to start that thing and what to do with it well just to kind of wrap things up man where can our audience find out more about you online where can they follow you they can follow me on behance behance.net slash xavier ruffin they can follow me on twitter xavier2541 i'm on instagram they can go to dopamine.pro they can find me on Facebook, Xavier. I'm pretty much Xavier Ruffin everywhere except for Twitter. Just because <laughs> I hopped on Twitter at a different time in my life. And like, yeah. <laughs> Cool, man. Xavier Ruffin, thank you again, man, so much for taking time out and just kind of talking to us about the work that you do, about your creative process and everything. Do you think there's going to be another episode of Mad Black Men, or was that kind of a one-shot deal? I forgot to ask you that earlier. Oh, no, we have we have a lot more footage 
that we're currently trying to turn into one 44-minute version of what came out last year. Okay. So yeah, so there there is more. I don't want to say when I'm trying to release it. I do want it to be timeless, but I do kind of also want to coincide with the last season of Mad Men so we can like um, just kind of ride that wave and be smart on, on, the, on the marketing tip. But um, <laughs> yeah, so there is more. We do have to wrap up how that ended off. If you haven't checked it out yet, dailymotion.com slash madblackmen. Go check it out. I think it's good. That's what's... That's what's up, man. Thank you again so much uh, for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for talking with me. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Xavier Ruffin and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Xavier's work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks as always to our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. MailChimp is the premier email service provider choice for entrepreneurs and small businesses. I use it to send out Revision Paths weekly and monthly newsletters. My clients use MailChimp, and now you can too. You can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for free. No contracts, no credit card required, and it's free forever. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names, and they give you exactly what you need to get the job done. Get yourself a new domain or transfer your current domains to Hover and save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code 28DOTW at checkout. Lastly, there is Creative Market, a marketplace that sells beautiful, ready-to-use design content from thousands of independent creators around the globe. Today's Monday, so there's six free goods waiting for you to download and use right now. And there's that February big bundle that I talked about at the top of the show. You can check all of that out at creativemarket.com. Also, while you're doing all this internet browsing and stuff, don't forget to look at 28 Days of the Web. That's 28daysoftheweb.com. That's sort of something that we put on every year. It's a great profiles on black designers and developers, a new one every day in conjunction and celebration with Black History Month. Again, it's 28daysoftheweb.com. This episode was edited by R.J. Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro audio by Yellow Speaker. The outro audio, They See Me Growing, is courtesy of Jimmy Square. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. Leave a rating and a review. It really helps get new listeners. It helps more people find out about the show. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate and let us know. Leave a tip in our tip jar, sponsor an upcoming episode, or join at the $5 fist bump level to show your ongoing support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.